0: Welcome to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on praise designed to explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within our communities and beyond. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it. Now, here's your host, Bible teacher, writer, broadcaster, and lover of God, Kaz Taylor. Well,
1: welcome back and welcome to Come Together San Diego for just another time. We've been doing this as you know, my listening friends, for In our sixth year now, so uh, I know that you've become a bit familiar with uh, me and my cornball humor. And what you listen anyway? (laughs) Thank you for that, my friends. So you you know, as you've trekked with me for this uh, number of years, that these shows I tried the name of the broadcast. You know, is come together, San Diego. So the purpose of this is to bring unity in the body of Christ and bring others into the body of Christ. And oftentimes I use. Uh, certain verses in Scripture. I use the Old Testament and the New Testament, sometimes individually and sometimes in uh, cohesion one with another, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about a topic that uh, any person that's even a passive student of the Scripture will uh, smile a little bit about. It's called The Book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, The Book of Revelation, and we're going to talk about, the, especially those who have been tracking with me over uh, the years or of of late, you know I spent a lot of time on the feasts and festivals, days and years of the uh of the scripture and of the biblical and Hebrew truths found therein, and I blend those with current events and things like that, and I blend you know the feasts and festivals with the days and times and years and um, and even we talk about Torah quite quite a bit. So this is going to be a real blessing for you because we're going to take the book of the Revelation and compare it to the seven feasts and festivals found in God's uh, calendar. And uh, we're going to do that. But I'm not going to do this, oh no, oh, not by myself. I'm going to be bringing on a person who is well-steeped in the things of rabbinic studies, in the things of uh, uh, Israel, The Things of Hebraic Roots. And uh, this is a lady, if you are familiar with digging out uh, rabbinical insights and the Torah study, you may know the name Halissa Aylwine. And she is with me for the entire two hours. going to talk about (laughs) the book of Revelation, particularly the seven churches or assemblies as they relate to the seven biblical feasts and festivals. And with that long-winded introduction, Halissa wine. how are you?
2: I'm great. It's good to be with you today.
1: Yes, yes. I was hoping that you'd tell us a little bit uh, in advance before we dive into uh, all the different uh, churches or assemblies and the actual feasts and festivals. Give a little overview of you and uh, why these things as a Torah teacher that you are are so important.
2: Um, well, my, my background probably wouldn't have indicated that I would end up teaching Torah. I'm actually a retired law enforcement officer. Um, but the the beauty of the job that I had is that I continued to go to school. Uh, I had the type of job where I could kind of trade out. I could do some things uh, for the Department of Justice. And in return, I could have some time off to do some things I wanted to do that would let me go to Israel and improve my Hebrew and um, be able to attend graduate classes and so forth until uh, I've changed my doctorate. And so my my doctorate, even though it's in philosophy, the, the content area is in uh, how you teach adults, especially in a correctional setting. Um, so it, it doesn't seem like the two things go together, but I think the study skills absolutely informed how I was able to study scripture. And even as I furthered my education in religious studies, it helped me to really prove out a text. And so many people now, they're doing their, their Bible learning on the internet and, you know, phone apps, and they want it in 30-second or two-minute bites. And that's the best way that I can tell um, to be deceived. There's there's an old saying, you know, when you study scripture, and that is, context is everything. Mm-hmm. If, if you rip things out of context, which it takes about 30 seconds to do, then it's highly likely you've entirely missed the point. And I think that's why we have so many denominations today. We're ripping things out of context, and rather than address all these other contexts that may appear to... Uh, refute that, or that at least have to be explained you know, in reference to that, rather than go to the trouble and do the work to reconcile these seemingly disagreeing scriptures, we just pick one and make a new denomination or a new oh, doctrine. No. Or...
1: I know. I that, know. That is a temptation. That is a challenge, Melissa, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of a verse, I think it's in 2 Timothy, it says to study. A lot of these people study to show themselves being approved unto themselves and unto their denomination, unto their congregations. But the truth of the matter is the study that we need to do before God is a reverent, holy study. And the scripture says in, I think, Second Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, not unto other people. Um, a workman who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth and one of the things as I've strolled through your web pages and things like that you're a person who purposes clearly purposes to rightly divide the word of truth another uh, thing that you mentioned in your little introduction there is how do these two things go together question mark well the question that we're going to deal with that question that you asked earlier in your introduction about the the two things the the uh, seven churches in the book of revelation and the seven feasts and festivals found in Scripture, one would ask, but but how do these things go together? But I, I, I know you well enough to know, as you explain that, light bulbs across San Diego County and beyond are going to go on and go, Oh, there's a wonderful connection there, and it's going to help them understand both facets, both the feasts— and the the assemblies or the churches in the book of Revelation. So we've got a little bit more time left in this segment. I'll let you tie all these things together, and in the next segment we'll begin launching into the actual... uh, uh, I don't know whether you want to talk about the feasts first or the actual churches, but I'm going to hand the baton to you to set the stage for all of that. So lay it on us, would you, Um, Alyssa?
2: Okay. Well, I mean, it goes back to, again, context is everything. When you want to study Scripture... And I learned early on that, at least from the Jewish point of view, and they have been setting Scripture much longer than most <laughs> yes, uh, in the original language. And so there's a saying that Moses is the prophet, and the prophets are his legs. Now, that's kind of an odd turn of phrase, but, but what they actually mean by that is, you know, Moses, he received the word of God face to face. He says, I I spoke to Moses face to face, not like I did with others in dreams, visions, and dark sayings. It was mouth to mouth, face to face. And so, if you want the clearest prophecy in the Bible, then you go to the first five books of the Bible, which are called the books of Moses. And as I you know, studied more in depth, I realized that saying there's a lot to it because it seems like everything that comes after those five books refers to those five books in some way. And we're not leaving out the New Testament either. No, the New Testament especially is founded on those books of Moses that were the face to face Prophecy, and even Yeshua was called, you know, that prophet who is like unto Moses. There's a face-to-face encounter when you deal with Yeshua, and that's who he spoke with on the Mount of Transfiguration. He spoke with Moses and Elijah. He didn't speak against them. No, He spoke with them, and they spoke with him. They were all sending the same message, whether it's the Torah, the prophets, or even the the New Testament scriptures, they're not in disagreement, they're in perfect agreement. Yes. And I realized there was nothing I was reading in the New Testament and especially in the book of Revelation, that I hadn't already read before in some way. Yes. I call it seed prophecy or proto prophecies of the Torah. Um, there's yes. even prophecies within prophecies within prophecies. And that's when I realized
3: that, <laughs>
2: you know, I want to understand six 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 and the beast in Revelation, then I need to go back to the sixth day of creation and understand that the beast and the man were created on the same day.
1: My, we're going to talk more about this. We're running out of time in this segment. But th- that is that is uh, an amazing uh, point of view that you have. And I'll tell you what, with that, with that point of view, uh, we need to have a, a, a major appreciation for uh, Moses and the books of the law, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But therein, a lot of people go, I don't believe in the Old Testament. I'm going to stick with the New. If you want to really understand the New Testament, the way to do that is to dig into the Old Testament. The way to look at the foundational truths therein is to look at the first five books uh, of, of of Scripture. And then you will begin to see that hard-to-understand books like the Book of Revelation, uh answers itself in many ways as you dig into what is meant by those things Halissa, Ale Wine you're going to be joining me for the remainder of the broadcast we're setting the stage for the next stuff talking about the seven churches or assemblies comparing them to the feasts and festivals which are sevenfold as well and we'll be right back
0: This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on K-Praise.
1: And welcome back, my friends. A remarkable show uh, showing you how God structures his scripture from Old Testament to New Testament to even the current day times, how they're in perfect harmony with one another. A lot of people say, well, I'm a New Testament person. I don't even pay close attention to the Old Testament. If you want to understand the New Testament, you have to delve in to the Old Testament, in particular, the first five books of the scripture. We have Holissa Alewine with us today, and she is a rabbinical student extraordinaire, and uh, she loves Hebrew-related things, and teaches Torah as well. So she's going to help us understand how the uh, books uh, of Moses tie in with the book of the Revelation in particular, and other things as well. well let's say I'm going to hand the baton to you. I, I know a lot of people that are spending most of their time in the New Testament. Um, obviously, they're familiar with the book of the Revelation, but Uh, They don't realize how intimately that is tied to truths of the Old Testament, even including the feasts and festivals. I'm going to hand the baton to you to lay the groundwork and then dig on in.
2: Okay. Um, Well, you know, if we look at it in its simplest form, if we're trying to understand the New Testament, what we have to understand is there is nothing new under the sun. That uh, even Yeshua, you know, he's, he arrives on the scene after books and books and books and books prophesying of his arrival. So, again, it's, there's nothing new. And if I do want to understand Revelation, then I have to learn my prophetic language from the Old Testament. More specifically, I want to start with the first five books, the books of Moses. And so I'd like to just kind of read out of Revelation chapter 1 And just give you an example of knowing your prophetic language from the Old Testament so that you can see even the prophecies of of Revelation through the right contextual eyes. That, you know, he doesn't rip out a whole new language and vocabulary and glossary on us so we can read the book of Revelation. He knows that we're going to rely on the foundations that we've already studied uh, because remember, there is no New Testament when the apostles are preaching. When they are first proclaiming the gospel, the, the only text they have as a referent is the Old Testament. So they're going to be teaching prophetic language. And often we don't recognize that because we don't spend as much time on the front end of the Bible.
3: Yeah, that's right.
2: I want to give you an example. You know, uh, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, okay, when I hear a loud voice like the sound of the trumpet, that takes me back to Mount Sinai because it's describing the conditions there when they were about to receive the Torah. And he says, write in a book what you see. Well, what did Moses do? He wrote, I mean, the first set of tablets were given to him, but he had to write the second After they were smashed. And we know that they were written front and back according to the word. And the scroll that John, that's described that John eats later, is also written front and back. So, okay, I have context for this. I've seen this before. He says, send it to the seven churches. Now I'm reading out of the NASB, but I have to go back into John's head and I realize John never went to church.
3: He's (laughs) like,
2: He's writing to the first century believers and those who would come after. But John never went to First Baptist on Main Street that has a nice steeple and a bell in it. And <laughs> they don't take up offerings for Lottie Moon in the first century. There's a different context. And so we know John went and he worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem. And we know that he celebrated the seventh feast you know, with every other observant Jew. And we know that he was instrumental in planting smaller fellowships um, as he went out and took the gospel. But he really has no context for a church as we would see it today. So I have to go back to John's eyes and say, what are the only seven assemblies that John would be familiar with? And it would be the seven feasts, starting with Passover and ending with tabernacles. And we see he's about to relate those assemblies to particular um, churches that have been planted at that time. He says to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Now, those have passed out of history in terms of significance. So there's going to be a symbolic meaning that can continue to have significant through the ages. But nevertheless, he's using those primary locations because there's going to be something associated with them that's going to remind us of the seven feasts of Adonai. And that's what I want to do, is kind of work through them and show you how each of these has earmarks of those seven feasts, which makes them even more important today.
1: Oh, I love that. You know, I, I've, I've one of the most marked up books in my entire Bible is the book of the Revelation. Uh, hefty markups, and a lot of them have question marks. Is this what this means? Is this what this means? And the more that I realized that God has given us the Old in preparation for understanding the New Testament, then I go, a lot of these question marks are scratched off now because because there's references to them in the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms. It's all there if you are diligent and you look at it. So we're excited to hear how you uh, compare the o- Old Testament Feasts and festivals with the New Testament uh, seven assemblies or churches. I'm going to hand it back to you, Melissa.
2: Right, and that's that's my uh, problem with the way that prophecy is taught a lot today. It's taught like it's an amusement park, and mm-hmm. the word is really a field. It's to be sown. It's to be worked in a field very systematically with intelligence. Um, knowing already the condition of your field, what grows well, the weather conditions, the soil conditions. And instead, you know, we both know the Christian bookstores, their prophecy shelves are filled with things that over time they're just going to have to be tossed in the trash because it just didn't pan out that way. Yes. Um, and it because it was cut, ripped out of not just um, the good Old Testament context, but out of the cultural context Ah, of the
3: first century
2: and the the language context of the first century. And so, you know, if that Antichrist didn't pan out, we toss that book and we just come up with a new plan. Well, if the Lord didn't return on this date, I just did a slight miscalculation. Well, I'm going to redo it and write another book and everybody buy it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you nailed it. That's often the
2: case. we're, We're being put into an amusement park, and yes, the roller coaster is a fun ride. We scream and yell, and we have a big time, but we always end up right back where we started. And it's the same thing with the Ferris wheel. The view is beautiful up there, but I always get off where I got on. And the cotton candy always gives me a tummy ache.
1: (laughs) Yes. And the other thing, too, and I suspect you would agree with this, Alyssa. By the way, my listening friend, we're talking with Alyssa Alewine uh, a rabbinical uh, lover and uh, a, a Torah teacher, one of the things that we'd have to admit is that our our understanding is one-sided and we have to be able to walk away from the things we thought we knew because we're coming into vital times and there's no more times for uh, wild speculation because we need to know God's Word and stand on God's Word and the wild speculations of the past doesn't need to go away, handing it back to you, Halisa.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why in Revelation that the, the end of days is described to us, or at least the, the days as we know them before there's a, a significant transition into the millennium. He does take us back, and we say it's coded language, you know, as we're going to go through some of this, it might sound like, well, that's been hidden in there. It's coded language. It was never hidden to Jewish eyes because they already know these things. It's just a matter of saying, wait a minute, what he's saying to Ephesus, that's clearly referring to the exodus from Egypt and the Passover. And what he's saying to the assembly at Sardis, that's almost verbatim out of a Jewish prayer book for Rosh Hashanah. Wow. And if he's pointing us back to the beginning, if he's saying, wait a minute, go back. I was serious about the Shabbat. I was serious about the feast because I have designed them to be a place of refuge and safety for you in troubled times. And so I'm going to place these in the book of Revelation so that you can seek this. If somehow you have lost this understanding, then I'm guiding you back to it every way I know how.
1: Yes. I, I, um, we're going to have to take a break here because, uh, I'm subject to the clock here, and we're about ready to take a break and enter the next segment. So, uh, remarkable, and I think, my listening friend, our eyes are beginning to open even more. You know, we we often scratched our heads uh, regarding the book of the Revelation, but I think you'll scratch your heads a lot less when you see the common denominators from that book into the first five books of, the, of Moses, and you'll say, Oh, this is that. Oh, and this is what the Lord wants to tell us. This is how he wants us to be careful. And this is how he wants us to be aggressive in faith. We'll talk more about these things and others when Halissa Alewine and I come right back.
0: More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on KPraise. Now back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on KPraise with Cass Taylor. Well,
1: welcome back, my friends. And I want to welcome back my co-host, Melissa Aylwine. She is a, a rabbinical study uh, e- expert, I would call her. she say, oh, come on, but she is. And she's got wonderful sites, uh, insights regarding the Torah and how they play out. And if you're—my wife and many of her friends have delved into the Torah of late, and they're beginning to see—you know, they've gone through the Torah teaching, uh, cyclical teaching— I think this is their third time through. And now they're picking up things they'd never even considered the earlier times through. And as you dig through um, the New Testament, my friend, and the Old Testament as well, you're going to see common denominators. And the more you look into it, the more you see common denominators, and you go, oh, that's a big part of what the Lord was saying, and I didn't get it until now. Well, you're now, right now, my friends, is the time we're spending with Alyssa Alewine, and she's going to give us some further insights on one of those New Testament prophetical books called Revelation and the churches or assemblies therein, and how they tie in with the feasts and festivals. We've talked about the feasts and festivals a long time, many times in this radio show. Now you're going to see how they come together. And I'm blabbing too much, so here is Alyssa Halewine to tell us more. <laughs> here you go.
2: Okay. Well, we were just you know, pulling a, a few verses out of Revelation chapter 1 to set the stage, and, and I thought we would just kind of work through those seven assemblies of Revelation. And, and we can mention a few points so that if your listeners, even if they're not that familiar with the seven feasts uh, that were given to Israel— I can give them a few things that hopefully will ring a bell that I'm sure that they, they have read the first five books of the Bible. And so hopefully it'll, it'll ring a bell and they'll be motivated to dig a little deeper and see, well, why is this in place for the last generation before the glorious return? So uh, as we continue down in chapter one, It says, in his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in his strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And so, in that context, again, and you're not even going to find this um, explicitly in the Torah. It's just hinted to, and then the rabbis tell about it. They they understood what happened at Mount Sinai in a particular way, because remember they go to Moses as the as the commandments are being given, and they say Moses, you go and talk to him because if we keep listening, we're going to die. And the rabbis say they were literally dying that as that first commandment goes out, that they just fell over dead. And so he resurrected them. They had, you know, they, they stood up again, and they're like, okay, here comes another commandment. Bam, they fall over dead.
3: Oh and and
2: that's what happens to a human being when we hear the word and we realize who we are in comparison to that word. It's like, yeah, that word will kill us, but Yeshua is saying, and it gives you life. Yes. It gives you life. It resurrects you from the dead, but clearly they didn't want to go through, you know, 10 deaths in order to (laughs) get the whole story at Mount Sinai. But, you know, reading this through Jewish eyes, you say, "Mm, that kind of puts me back at Mount Sinai because John falls down like a dead man, which was the response of the Israelites when they're hearing the commandments. Um, And Yeshua goes on. And he says, therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven assemblies and the seven lampstands are the seven assemblies. So there's a duality right there. When we look at the seven-branch menorah, we always look at it and say, oh, yes, that represents the the seven spirits of Adonai that are listed in the book of Isaiah. And they do. But now Yeshua is saying, hey, look, I want you to associate my people with those seven lampstands. And it, it goes back to if his spirit is in his people, then, yes, they are one and the same. Just like the spirit and the bride say come. Yes. Which one? Well, yes, it's both of them. If the spirit is in the bride, they say
3: come. Oh, it's yes.
2: Two things but one thing. And so he's telling his assemblies, I, I want you to have this identity with the seven spirits of Adonai. And I want you to associate the move of these seven spirits at appointed times, uh, within the seven assembly times. And that's why, you know, we can see the whole message of the gospel in these seven feasts. If we're paying attention, we really study what they're about and the, you know, the true themes yes, of yes. each of
1: You know, something that struck so, me, he, he, here's what happens when I listen to a teacher such as you, uh, Alyssa. When when you mention certain things, like certain phrases, like they died at Mount Sinai and things like that, I, it, it makes me dig through Scripture, because you say the rabbis implied that or suggested that, but it reminds me of a Scripture, even in the book of the Revelation, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto the death. Well, in a very real way, these people in uh, at Mount Sinai— um, um, love not their life unto the death, and they, and Paul says, I think, I die daily. So the the death is, <laughs> if you really want to understand the depth of God's truths in uh, the seven churches or the seven assemblies and the seven different uh, feasts and festivals, dying is uh, thematically a way that one must go in order to have that resurrected understanding of these things. It is so good. I'm going to have you continue. Forgive me for, uh, but you, you inspired, you know, you inspired me to weigh that against Scripture, and uh, you, you gave me some nuggets. Thank you, Holissa.
2: Good, good. And I, I think everybody who's read these seven assemblies, you can recognize something very modern in their structure. They're written in memo form. They're, they're not written like, say, the letters from the apostles. Uh, they, they're very brief, and it's when you write an inter-office memo— it's because <laughs> there's certain things you assume everybody knows you're working for the company, right? You, you know what your job is, you know what the company is making, you know, what the time schedules are, you know, what the holidays are, the days off the shifts, you know, who's in charge. Everybody knows what everybody's supposed to be doing in their department. So you don't repeat all that. Yes. And so each of these seven assemblies, You'll notice it's the same structure. It's a memo, and it, it'll say who it's to, who it's from, what they're doing right, which you would want to do for your employees before you tell them what they're doing wrong, which comes next. Mm-hmm. And then he'll say, and here's what I'm commanding you to do. This is how you fix it. And then he'll give them a little exhortation, kind wow. of a little, you know, on and, the this rear is, end and, and,
1: and this is the structure of uh, the Lord's instructions to each one of the seven. Uh, assemblies right he he uses that same memo structure that's that's excellent well said
2: yes so let's just take a look at ephesus and um without reading the entire passage there there's some particular things and, and of course it's coming from the one who walks among the seven golden lampstand this is who it's coming from well yeshua is described as the one in the middle of the lampstand in Revelation, and remember, it's that middle pillar of the menorah that was the original piece of gold, that it was hammered out. The other six branches were hammered out of that original one piece, and so the menorah is only one piece of gold, but it has seven branches, and the central branch is Yeshua. He's saying, these seven spirits, as you look at them, or even as you look at them as the seven assemblies, the seven feasts, he's saying, "I was in the middle of it. I was. At the, I was the originator. And so, whatever you do, he's at the center of it."
1: Oh my! You know that that you, you mentioning that is. I, I don't think it's coincidental that we're uh, celebrating the uh, the aspects of of Hanukkah uh, and. These aspects of Hanukkah had to do with that servant candle in the middle. Of course, that was a nine uh, candlesticks, and this is this the seven. But nonetheless, the the picture is very, very clear there about the Lord in the middle of the churches or, or assemblies instructing each one. And as you get into the instructions of Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, uh, can hardly wait. It's about time for us to take a break really soon. So I want you to just hang hang in there. My listening friend, I hope you appreciate uh, what uh, the insights of our rabbinical teacher, our Torah teacher, Halissa Alewine, is... Uh, saying to us we're going to find out more about these things and help you connect the dots because, my listening friend, as you connect the dots, you're going to realize that this has been God's plan from the very beginning. He's given us the feasts and festivals, the days and the years, and he's even given us in the the New Testament the different churches, each one having a particular message for Y-O-U-T-O-D-A-Y. In other words, for you (laughs) <laughs> today. So, Halissa, uh, we're going to talk more about these things. And by the way, quickly give us a website. My listening friend, she has a, a, a ministry work, set of workbooks called The Creation Gospel. Before we take a break here, give me a quick access to those for our listening friends.
2: Um, on YouTube, they can just look up Halisa Aylwine, or on the internet, www.thecreationgospel.com.
1: I see. Well, my friends, it's getting close to time for us to take a break. Um, I want you to know that these things are going to be powerful, and we're going to talk more about these things because uh, we got for the entire hour. Halissa Alewine, and uh, take a deep breath. Expect God's greatness to be revealed to you like never before. And we will be right back.
0: This is Come Together, San Diego, the live local show on K Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on KPraise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Welcome back, my friends, and making
1: you take a brand new look at the old book. Actually, the old books. You think the New Testament is old by our terms. The what they would call the Old Testament uh, launched through the Torah launched through the five books of Moses. Uh, That is really, really old. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to look for the common denominators in what we would call the Old Testament or the First Testament and the Second Testament uh, and bring them together because God has a continuous message that he's trying to share with us. And a lot of that is not only a message for intimacy between he and us, but also a message of uh, directions for us to surviving these challenging days. And so I have Halissa, Halissa forgive me, Halissa. Halissa, Aylwine uh, with me, and she is a lover of rabbinical uh, studies, and she is a Torah teacher. And she, she as you can tell just from her uh, delivery, she is a well-thought-out person, and she's got some rem- remarkable nuances, and she's drawing a case between the the nuance of the New Testament book of Revelation, and the feasts and festivals found way back in one of the early writings of Moses. It's amazing, and when you can glean what this means to Y-O-U-N-O-W, <laughs> then you're going to be empowered and uh, blessed more than you can imagine. I'm going to hand the baton back to you, Alyssa Hill-Wine, for giving us further insights. Okay. Well,
2: again, our first assembly is Ephesus. And before we even read the content of that memo to Ephesus, again, context is everything. So we go back into the time period in which John lived and the recipients of this particular work that he's writing. And Ephesus was famous for something in the first century. And if we're going to relate Ephesus to the first assembly, which is Passover, Passover is the first feast in the biblical year. It commemorates the slaves, the Hebrew slaves, Exodus from Egypt. In fact, it's called the season of our freedom. What Ephesus was known for in the first century was that it was the slave capital of the world, the slave capital of the known world. In fact, there was a whole underground city that was fueled by slaves, the, the Roman baths, they would have slaves under there adding fuel to the fires to keep the Roman baths going. And in fact, uh, there was a program years ago that it was called Cities of the Underworld or Cities of the Underground or something, and they took cameras down in there. Of course, it's all collapsed now. Yeah. But in the, the first century mindset, when you say Ephesus, you know it's a slave capital. And so in a very dangerous time where we know John is in exile and his life probably hangs in the balance daily at the whims of of the governor responsible for his imprisonment, he's being very, he's being given very creative language that's going to protect him to some extent. But to a Jewish mind, Ephesus, okay, I get it. Passover, the Hebrews were slaves. Here's the story. And then John goes on, and and he writes, he says, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance, and you cannot endure evil men. That's exactly what was going on in Egypt. They had been put to toil, hard labor, and they had to persevere until Moses came and brought the message. He says, you cannot endure evil men. And that's what the text tells us, is they cried out. And so the Holy One heard their cries, and he sent Moses.
3: Yes,
1: so howssa, would you give we know from scripture in uh I believe in Ecclesiastes it says that which was is and that which is is to come because there's nothing new under the sun you've given us some great insights about the the church of or the assembly of Ephesus and how it relates to passover uh, and trying to get out of the slave mentality how Would you relate to that to the uh, our life and lifestyle today
2: I think today we are enslaved. Um, two, and I'm going to call these the systems of the beast uh, and the beast empires, um, organizations. And in the prophets, it says, you know, you've been leaning on Egypt, but you've put too much weight because they say it's like leaning on a reed. That reed is going to snap and pierce you through the hand. And you can almost tell from people's reactions when they're disappointed in one of their systems. Let's say it's medicine failed us in COVID. Let's say our our politics have been failing us over the past Sure, or your
1: education in in part has failed you. I mean, there's just so many aspects you can talk about and And that we have been enslaved by.
2: Right. These are systems, and they're they're represented—remember the third beast kingdom was Greece— represented by a leopard, and when you look at the Hebrew word for those spots on the leopard, it really means organization, and Greece took those systems, literature, um, entertainment through drama, comedy, sports, we still go to Colosseums, well, the Romans just picked it up, the fourth beast kingdom, they just picked it up, They did a little more perfecting of those Greek systems, just changed the names of the gods a little bit. And even after the Roman Empire was destroyed, those systems and organizations have spread all over the earth. And yes, we have to live in the world, but we don't have to put all our faith and our weight, we don't have to lean on those things to the point that we forget who our real healer is.
3: That's right.
2: Or we we forget who our true military commander is. Or <laughs> the captain our... of the
1: host, yes. <laughs> right. That's so good.
2: And you can tell by how loud people scream when, a, say, a politician lets them down, how, much, how hard they were leaning on that reed.
3: Oh, my. That
1: is so good. I, That's a wonderful we... analogy between Ephesus and the, the feast and festival of Passover. Uh, where do you want to go from here? We've got a little bit of time left in this segment.
2: Okay, well, let's just go on to the next um, uh, assembly. And that's going to be the assembly of Smyrna. And you can even hear a word in, when I say Smyrna, you can hear the word myrrh. Because they have the same root. No matter whether you're looking at it in Hebrew or Greek, it still goes back to the same thing, myrrh, the, the particular spice. And myrrh is a death spice. People in the first century, you would anoint them with myrrh when they died, when you buried them. You see the the women doing this for Yeshua. Uh, But this would parallel the days of unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread is called matzah, but it's also called in Hebrew, halachma'anya, which means the bread of suffering. The bread of suffering. And what is this particular assembly told? He says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. That's another translation of it, not just the bread of suffering, but the bread of poverty. And he says, but you're rich. And he says, don't fear what you're about to suffer. And so he talks about some of you are going to be cast into prison. That you may be tested You will have tribulation in 10 days Be faithful unto death And I will give you the crown of life That myrrh um, is not just the death spice The same word that means bitter herbs That you eat with the matzah With the unleavened bread uh, That's going to be marur Marur And they both mean the same thing It's a bitter herb It's a It's a very bitter spice uh, it has to be mixed with something, and it has to to make a good perfume. My. Uh, but
1: I'm going to ask I mean, you, we, we're we running low on time on this segment, but I'm going to ask you to do this parallel, not only uh, we're talking about the New Testament revelation, but and also the unleavened bread relationship between that and Smyrna, but I'm going to also ask you, like I did before, to give an analogy about how things are today and how this relates to us today. My listening friend, if you're engaged, it's understandable. We have an engaging lady who is a Torah teacher, Alyssa Aylwine, joining us to tell us more insights to help us combine our understanding from the New Testament to the Old Testament, and pardon my analogy, from the New Testament to the Old Testament to even the Now Testament, because these all things are intertwined to empower you and give you comfort, that God's in control, so do not worry. We'll talk more about this when I come right back.
0: This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. I'll tell the world. Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on K-Praise. Welcome back, my friends.
1: We have the honor of having Alyssa Alewine with us for two hours. She is Um, She comes from a teaching environment. She was, I guess, you actually taught in high school, but also you have been involved in the uh, Bureau of Prisons. You've been involved in um, a lot of other, um, what do we want to say? Um, There was another aspect that you told me that I didn't make note of. You were involved in uh, uh, some legal-related things as well. Helissa, help me remember the other thing you mentioned. Oh, law enforcement, of course. Law enforcement and federal law enforcement. All those things, you know, people go, I've done this and I've done that, but but uh, now what do I do? The Bible instructs that God gives us progressive revelation and things, so no matter what your background was, he will use it to uh, enlarge you and have you enlarge the lives of others. Helissa, it's a joy to have you with us and uh, to explain how the New Testament and the Old Testament even relates to the Now Testament, talking about uh, the churches in the book of Revelation and the feasts and festivals in Leviticus and beyond, and what those mean to us today. By the way, my friends, Come Together San Diego is a wonderful broadcast intended to make you join together with your brother and your sister who may have different flavors, different backgrounds, and how you come together to be empowered by the Lord. So if you want to find out more about me and uh, Come Together San Diego and different broadcasts, go to come together San Diego at kprz.com. Once again, come together San Diego at kprz.com. Excited to hear more insights from you, Halissa, as you entwine the book of the Revelation and the churches or the assemblies to the feasts and festivals in the Old Testament. Handing it back to you, Alyssa.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, just to wrap up the the message, the memo, to Smyrna, again, it, they're warned that there's going to be some tribulation, there's going to be some affliction, but they're not to be concerned about it, that this is just part of the process. And again, if you're celebrating the feast, you kind of get that because you you eat unleavened bread for seven days. You eat that bread of affliction and poverty to remind you of something. And um, that's exactly what was said in Exodus, um, that the Hebrews had taskmasters appointed over them to afflict them, and they built pharaoh storage cities, Pitom and Ramses. And again, we talked about those systems of the beast, how we are building these systems uh, of, you know, control. However, we are not of these systems. That's not what where our faith should lie. And So it says the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out. So that they were in dread (laughs) of Israel. So the good news to Smyrna is, yes, you're going to be tested. You're going to uh, kind of be imprisoned within these systems. You're you're in nations of exile right now. But the more that you're afflicted, if you will cry out to the Holy One, instead of depending on these systems to bail you out, and that's the way that they're designed then you know the the redeemer is coming yes. the savior is coming and you're just going to you're just going to multiply and that's the thing to remember the same road that killed pharaoh and his army was the road to freedom for the israelites
1: oh that's a good analogy that's powerful that's powerful so we've talked about ephesus and smyrna you've got some more churches or assemblies to talk about don't you
2: Sure, we've got Pergamum, and uh, Pergamum is interesting because it's, um, it mentions something that uh, a lot of people speculate. It might be this, it might be that, and I'm sure there's several good answers. I, I'm fine with there being more than one answer to these things. Um, but Pergamum would correspond to the Feast of first fruits of the Barley. And, of course, we know that this would have been the day that Yeshua resurrected from the dead, so we're being reminded of the resurrection of Yeshua, which we get during that whole season. so you can also take those first three assemblies and squish them all together, and you have an overall view of the the bundle there of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, which all occur right there within those seven days
1: right in the in the in the first biblical month of Nissan. Yes.
2: Right. And so it it even talks about my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Well, I think there's a duality of understanding there. It's referring to Yeshua, the witness, the faithful one who was killed where Satan dwells. Um, But as you work down through there, it talks about repentance. And of course, this would be important when we're accepting the salvation of Yeshua. Attached to that invitation is a requirement that we repent. It's not like Yeshua saved me so I can keep doing these stupid things. It's Yeshua saved me so you can transform me from doing stupid things. I don't want to <laughs>
3: anymore. Yes.
2: I don't want to just make your sacrifice of none account I don't want to have put you through all that stuff on the day of your crucifixion for nothing just for me to keep doing what I'm doing Um, I love you and I don't want to crucify you afresh with my behavior and so in the exhortation part of the memo here the Pergamon it says to him who overcomes to him I will give some of the hidden manna And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. There's an interesting allusion there to something way back in the beginning in in the story of creation. There's actually two accounts of creation. There's the chapter one, which describes the natural creation. But there's also the next chapter, which describes, it, it focuses more on the Garden of Eden. And it's not that there were two separate creations. One is clarifying the other, and I love teaching on that—the the rivers of Eden. But the idea, when you look at the specific language of the Garden of Eden in the beginning, which is where we were created to live—that's that's Plan A. We were created to live in the Garden of Eden. There was um, it says in that place, uh, uh, Shoham Stone which is usually translated as onyx, with a black stone. But the very word shoham in Hebrew means to turn white. Oh, my. And that's, it's, it's, it's odd. Like, okay, it's a black stone, but why are you saying it means to turn white? Well, this particular stone, if you'll remember, it was on the shoulders of the high priest.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It was embedded in gold filigree, and there were the names of six tribes of Israel on one stone, and the names of the other six tribes on the other stone. And the question is, Was were the stones black or were they white?
1: And uh, many people say the answer is yes, the black stone it and is, the yeah. white stone. And a lot, of, a lot of people use this as an analogy for the, um, help me with the words, Urim and Thummim, where mm-hmm. the priest's garment and the white stone meant a good thing and the black stone implied a negative thing. I mean, th- this is remarkable stuff. And... To see you tie this with the Church of Pergamum and uh, first fruits together uh, is invaluable I know we're running out of time in this segment but do the give us the current uh, value of understanding these two paradigms
2: um, I, I think the the great thing to know here is that with the because remember um, Pergamum is going to be associated with the Feast of first fruits of the barley, the day of the resurrection. And because of Yeshua's resurrection, we can also be resurrected and we can take our place in the garden, which was plan A all along. Yes. And so we we have arisen with him. I mean, we don't have to read too far in the, the New Testament scriptures to hear those sorts of phrases. We have arisen with Yeshua. Yep. yep. Uh, You know, it it talks about the hidden manna, if we will overcome. Well, if you'll remember, uh, there was manna that was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant where the commandments were. Yes. And we'll have a special relationship with those commandments. But there's also a hidden day. Um, There's a, a day called Yom Teruah, or it's also called Rosh Hashanah. And it's directly opposite. If you look at it on the menorah, it comes from the same place as Pergamum, or as we're saying, the first fruits of the barley. Rosh Hashanah, it comes from the same place on the menorah. It comes out on the other side. And that's called a hidden day in Judaism, referring to the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. And that's the resurrection day of the greater body of Messiah.
1: Oh my, this is such remarkable stuff. You know, in my studies, my my favorite time frames are the last three festivals or feasts uh, 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 noted in, in, in Scripture because th- those are feasts and festivals that are in present-day fulfillment. We're going to talk more about these things and more so when my co-host, Alyssa Aylwine, joins me for more. We're just getting into the book of the Revelation and also the books of the Torah, the early books of Moses. Ah, life is Good if you know where to look and in whom to believe. We'll talk more about these
0: things when we come right back. More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K Praise. Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor on K Praise.
1: Hey, my listening friends, is this you? The New Testament is important. I don't worry too much about the Old Testament. Or is it it you saying, oh, I love the prophecies of the Scripture or I love the Gospels of the Scripture or I love the Psalms. That's where I camp out. Well, you know something, my friend? God's got a bigger picture than your your limited uh, point of view. He wants to blend your point of view with other people's point of view and turn you back to his Scripture in Torah, the teaching of uh, the Word, but also the New Testament and Old Testament combined together. You're going to realize that all these things uh, our foreknowledge for you to put together in these challenging times. So honored to have Alyssa Aylwine with me, and a lover of the rabbinic studies and uh, biblical truths and Torah teaching. So I'm going to have you continue your analogy between the uh, the books of the the churches in the Book of Revelation and the feasts and festivals. Alyssa Aylwine.
2: Okay. Okay, well, let's, let's skip on to Thyatira, which is the fourth. If we're picturing the menorah in our minds, Thyatira would be in the middle. There we talk about Yeshua in the middle of the lampstand. Uh, Thyatira is right there in the middle. So it's the central pillar. It's central to everything. And Thyatira would line up with the fourth feast of Israel, which is Shavuot. Shavuot. You might usually hear it as Pentecost probably. You've probably seen it translated as Pentecost. Shavuot means weeks, of course, because you know you're counting the seven weeks to get there. But Shavuot commemorates the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And, uh, you know, it even starts out, you know, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. Um, Of course, that's what the Israelites saw on the mountain were the flames of fire. And, uh, he, it's it's kind of a we don't want to call scripture downer, but in terms of what they're doing wrong, it's a real downer because it's disappointing. Oh my yeah. he said, uh, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they can commit acts of immorality and thing and eat things sacrificed to, to idols. idols. Uh, well. And there's more to this, but we'll just stop right there for, for a second and realize great things happened at Mount Sinai. They received not just the Ten Commandments, but as they camped there, Moses also gave them the rest of the Torah. There's there's a total of 613 commandments. What would apply to an individual is a pretty small number compared to the whole 613. It, it takes a whole nation to get that accomplished because not everybody's a farmer or a shop keeper or Uh, a fisherman
1: yeah absolutely
2: right but what happened there it was wondrous they saw the fire on the mountain they heard the voice and they said we will do and we will hear we agree to this covenant this this will be our code of conduct these will be our instructions for life and Moses goes up the mountain to get the remainder of it and what do they do they set up a golden staff And they began to eat things, sacrificed to the idol, and they began to commit acts of immorality. And you're saying, yikes, how is that so, you know, how did I miss that before? Well, often if we don't associate these assemblies with the seven feasts of Israel, then we would totally overlook the correlation that they're exact. The exact thing happened at Mount Sinai. He says, I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I'll cast her up on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent, and I will kill her children with pestilence. Um, And ultimately, he says, I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Now, so many times we get into salvation by grace discussions that we forget how to live in our salvation and that yes, the the book of Revelation says our deeds follow after us. So salvation, as we walk in our salvation, we're we're being perfected by the Holy Spirit to do what the word instructs us to do. So yes, deeds do count once you're saved. They don't save you, but they're you know, this is the natural outgrowth. Of being saved is wanting to conform to the image of Yeshua who never sinned mm-hmm. and when we fall short there's grace but it does Paul says God forbid we would keep on sinning and yes. so right here we can see the process that Moses went through first the Levites have to take swords against their brothers and to kill the worst offenders and then apparently there were kind of like some less blatant offenders that had to be dealt with So he grinds the gold into dust, mixes it in water, and makes him drink it. And this is understood to be reflected in the trial of the woman accused of adultery. Oh, yes. That it says her belly and her thigh will fall. And the way it's worded in the Torah in Hebrew, it's basically the same thing as we hear toward Babylon. Has fallen, fallen? Well, her belly and her thigh will fall, fall. Oh, my. She will exposed as an adulteress. And that's what idolatry is. It's committing adultery with another God. Oh and So, so compare this
1: quickly with with today, what, what Thyatira and the Feast of Weeks and Shavuot have to do with
3: us today.
2: Again, I, I think it's a matter of obedience. He says, I will get to each one of you according to your deeds. When you refuse, when you rebel, against the instructions of life that he's given us then you have made yourself your own god and eventually you will be exposed it might be sooner it might be later but there's there's no fruit from that it, there's no fruit from idolatry there's no fruit from self worship yes. and that's what we've wanted to do from the beginning he says you can have all these trees just not that one
3: yes
1: that's a real le- a real lesson for us today. It really is, and I'll tell you what, my friends. Uh, God, Jesus Himself fulfilled each one of these feasts until we get to the 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 uh, next series of feasts. Uh, the you know the uh, uh, trumpets and Day of Atonement and Feast of Tabernacles. Those things are in progress today. We haven't seen the fulfillment of those. We've seen the fulfillment of the others. The Book of Acts, chapter two. Uh, tied to uh, the Feast of Weeks and Shavuot and all these other festivals. Jesus fulfilled those, and his church has been and is fulfilling them as well. But the last three are perhaps the most remarkable. We we just have a couple of minutes here. You want to set up the Sardis and the Feast of uh, Trumpets uh, aspect of this? Uh, my sure. friend Alyssa?
2: Sardis means red ones, and that's not a compliment in a (laughs) Hebraic context, because basically they're being called Esau or Edom. Ah. Uh, So there's a problem here. Uh, But the easiest thing we can do with Sardis, because it does correlate to the Feast of Trumpets, which is also called Rosh Hashanah in in a Jewish context, you can go through this particular memo to Sardis and there's passages that are almost verbatim from Jewish prayer books for Rosh Hashanah. It'll blow your mind, you know, when you say, oh, my goodness, how did we miss this? Well, if you've never read a prayer book for a particular holy day, then you, you, I can't shake your hand and say it's nice to see you again if I've never met you before. yes. And, and that's why, you know, when we go back into some of the rabbinic literature, it helps us to see that, the again, these were brand new things. These things were being spoken in the language of the people of that day and time, and it, it would have resonated with them. They already have the context of it that we're just now having the ability to learn because the information is out there, but it has to be transformational, not just information, but transformation, because remember, Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets, it represents the time of the resurrection of the greater body, Messiah. Yes. That's yes. why we see this like we're in an amusement park. You know, it And also,
1: be- what it would mean to us today, the Bible talks about that nobody knows the day or the hour. And uh, of all the different festivals, no one regarding the, Fe- the Feast of Trumpets... Uh, Yom Teruah, nobody know, actually knows when that trumpet blast is going to blast. And here we are in these times right now, really unsure of the actual day and the hour of Christ's return. But we know it's coming soon to a world near you, coming soon to a person near you, coming soon to you. So we only have a minute left in this segment. So let me set the stage for us, if you would, Halissa, uh, on, on this. We're going to talk a little bit more about the the... Uh, feast of Trumpets, which is the beginning of the fall feast, the the the, the wintertime feast, um, Feast of Trumpets, and how it relates to the, uh, the Church or the Assembly of Sardis. My my listening friend, the Bible is a roadmap. It is a also a stopwatch for you to understand the time and the signs of the times. And we're so honored to have Halissa uh, Alewine with us to be able to talk more about these things. And she's going to give us website information to find out more about her um, creation gospel as well. My listening friends, we're in vital times. This information is not just passive scripture. This is scripture that you can use to live by. We're going to talk more about these things and so much more when Alyssa Alewine and I come right back.
0: This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K Praise. More Come Together San Diego. It's just moments away. Now, back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on Cape praise with Kaz Taylor. What? The Book of the
1: Revelation churches or assemblies, the seven of them, have a direct co- comparison to the Old Testament times of Moses and the introduction to the feasts and festivals? What? Yep. We've been uh, excavating those things throughout this, sh- this broadcast, and you may want to go back to the archives, too to study it more closely. But Halissa Aylwine is with me, and she's the one who is a a, a Torah teacher and so much more. I'll tell you what, she's got good things to share, and some of these insights you've probably not heard before. A lot of them are insights that God gave her specifically and also other Torah teachers. It's remarkable, and I don't want to spend much more time talking. I want to hand the baton back to her. We ended up talking about the the, the, uh, church or the assembly of Sardis and how that relates to the festival or feast of trumpets. And uh, these are things that the Lord and his church are in the process of fulfilling NOW now. So, Alyssa, handing it back to you.
2: Okay. On this one, on the the assembly of Sardis, the easiest way to do this is going to be rapid fire, at least on my part, because it's so packed And, and don't take my word for it. Go get a good book on the festivals of the Bible and how they're observed today and how they're seeing the themes and so forth. But for right now, you just kind of have to take my word for some of it because you may not find it specifically in scripture. You'll just see echoes of it, like say when, you know, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first and so forth. You know, in a twinkling of an eye, all of these things are relevant, but I'm just going to work through the memo And do a little commentary in between the sentences to explain them. It says, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. On Rosh Hashanah, on the Feast of Trumpets, which is celebrated for two days, it says, because of doubt. It's called a hidden day. And that's why Yeshua says nobody knows the day or the hour. That's why you celebrate it two days. Uh, You wear white the first day in the synagogue. Everybody wears white because you're about to die in the synagogue. As you do those prayers in the synagogue, everybody is buried in white. Jews are buried in white. Everybody's the same. And what's going to happen, as you listen to that shofar, as you listen to that trumpet in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you're going to be changed and you're going to be resurrected into the next year. And so it's it's kind of a, a marker in the year. And that's why you wear white on the first day, because you're about to die, be buried, and be resurrected. And it says, he who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This day is a judgment day. The decrees are made for the following year, who will live, who will die, whether you will prosper, the things that you will go through, the obstacles that you will have to overcome, which is the language used here. He who overcomes, you you reflect on your year as you go in for prayers. Did I overcome the obstacles that he set before me? Did I did I run the path he set before me at this time last year? If you've overcome, you'll be clothed in white garments. You'll you'll be part of that resurrection. And part of this, remember, because it's a judgment day, the standard greeting from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur for that 10 days is may your name be inscribed and sealed in the book of life. And that's exactly what Lewis said. I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He's going before the heavenly court on your behalf on this day.
1: Now this, yeah. you're talking about the Day of Atonement. Are you, are you not?
2: Uh, on this particular day, it's the Judgment Day itself is Rosh Hashanah. It's the Feast of Trumpets.
1: Yes. Okay. So and then we're transi- transitioning into the Church of Philadelphia and the Day of Atonement.
2: And that would be correct because they're not sealed until Philadelphia until Yom Kippur. Ah, uh, the sealing. Right. They're okay. being judged on the day of trumpets, but then they will be sealed up when the gates close at the end of Yom Kippur, and that's when it's over. And so he said, I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. That's the whole point of the Feast of Trumpets. It's sealing up your year. It's bringing your year to a close for evaluation. And if it's not finished, if you've still got some things to repent of, to complete, you have 10 days to do it before the gates close at Yom Kippur. So it kicks off these 10 days of intense repentance. But for the righteous, it's understood that one day they will actually be resurrected at this time, and that those 10 additional days are more for the intermediates who really haven't done the work.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, boy, you talk about that as it relates to these last days. This is really an inspiration, is it not, to to not be lackadaisical in your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with his kids, because um, you want to be ready for that particular time, don't you, Alyssa?
2: Right. Because he says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. Well, that's also one of the phrases associated with this particular holiday. It's, wake up, you sleeper, arise from the dead. In other words, don't fall asleep in your sin and stay there. Be oh, yeah. resurrected. He says, remember. Okay, this feast is also called a zikaron. It's a day of remembrance. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Wow. He who has here. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the assembly.
1: Oh, my. You, and, you know, there's so much talk about the woke generation versus the awakened generation. We're hearing this throughout uh, Judeo-Christian uh, uh, conversations and things like that. And this and th- this is perfectly uh, uh, related by you. This is a time for being awakened and to be awake. And a lot of times people are looking to be woke, and that's that's— the, the enemy's st- strategy. Uh, We've got just a couple of minutes here, but uh, continued thoughts on Philadelphia and Day of Atonement, and we will conclude that in the last se- segment coming up and the final feast we want to talk about as well. If you'd be so kind, okay. Alyssa Aylwine.
2: We've got these 10 days that connect us from the judgment day of the Feast of Trumpets, and then by Yom Kippur, which is the, the Day of Coverings, the Day of Atonement. He says, I know your deeds. Behold, I've put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's important. Um, Remember, the door shuts at the end of Yom Kippur. It's kind of like Noah's Ark. Once Adonai shuts the door, nobody else gets in. Oh, my. And he says, I'm putting an open door before you. I'm, I'm bringing you into a place of refuge. Um, they can't slam it in your face. And he even says, behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. That's a first century, I don't want to say it's a phrase, but it is. It's actually seed of Satan, synagogue of Satan. This was what the Pharisees would call somebody who didn't keep the Torah. It's not calling all synagogues of Satan. It's saying uh, those who depart from the Torah, they are called the seed of Satan or the synagogue of Satan.
1: And the phraseology is interesting too. Uh, uh, They say that they are Jews, but they're not. And so, you know, in today's vernacular, there are a lot of people say, yeah, I'm a believer in God. I'm a believer in Jesus. But if you're you're not doing the works accordingly— uh, that is an, uh, kind of a parallel to this scripture, is it not? Where it said they say that they are Jews, but they are not, but they do lie. I mean, it, it, wouldn't this be an analogy for current day times?
2: Right, because it's people who know what to do and they don't do it.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: exactly. And he says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. So if we think things are bad now, just imagine what that hour will be like after the resurrection of the dead.
1: Oh, my My listening friends, it's time for us to close this segment, Uh, but we're getting into some heavy heavy revies right now uh, and things that we need to be paying close attention to. It doesn't make any difference from what denomination you hang from or even from what church you kind of hang from as well. The truth of the matter is we need to embrace the intimacy of God and go all the way, not be woke, but be awakened and be empowered. We're going to talk more about this as we close this entire show. So thankful for Halissa Alewine to join me. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the time, and God has called you for such a time as this. We'll talk more about these things when we come right back.
0: This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, more of Come Together San Diego. The live local show on k Here's Kaz Taylor.
1: Yes, yes, and also here's co-host Alyssa Aylwine with me. And uh, we've gone a number of segments now telling you about the feasts and festivals, telling you about the churches uh, in the book of the Revelation, tying them together, and also giving you uh, insights of where we need to be looking and how we need to be living our lives today. And I'm gonna allow you, if you'd be so kind, Holissa, to to tie this all together in the last segment and uh, handing it to you. Oh, by the okay. way, give it give us start, start out with a with a, a website for your wonderful series called the Creation Gospel Workbook.
2: Okay. Anybody that wants to to go through the workbook, they can purchase the workbook, Amazon, our website, which is www.thecreationgospel.com. or you can Order it through your local bookstore. Um, you can also watch the videos for free on our YouTube channel, which is just look up Polisa Ale Wine. And the good news is that we don't take a salary out of the ministry. So when you purchase the workbooks or materials, you're donating directly uh, to three orphanages that we support
3: That's so one good. in
2: India um, and then two in Africa. So, um, you know, it's, it's a good deed. It's not just you know, study. It's you're able to do a good deed by purchasing a workbook. I love it.
1: Uh, you know, during during but... and during the break we, we were talking about talking about the uh the church of, of Laodicea and also the Feast of Tabernacles. And I my analogy was the Feast of Tabernacles is really a nice summary and a closing statement of God's plans for his church and the world. Uh, and we're at the last segment of the radio show as well. So we'll tie those together and let Alyssa, put a period at the end of this sentence. Alyssa? <laughs>
2: okay. and, and that's it. Sukkot is really the wrap-up. It's the culmination of the, the previous feast. And we're even told that you're, you're going to celebrate Sukkot, or tabernacles, in remembrance of when you came out of Egypt. And so it ties the end back to the beginning, and that's exactly how it begins. It says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning." Of the creation of God. And and so if, if you kind of know what you're looking at here, you can smile when you see that. Yeah, he does declare the end from the beginning and, and so forth. It's just one continuous circle. But this particular memo to Leodakia, it sums up really the fall feast. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, in the rabbinic literature, this group of people will be called the the intermediates. The, is, here it's being translated out as lukewarm, tepid. They're neither hot nor cold. And the intermediates are the ones who were said to need that additional 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement because they're lukewarm. They're They're not really completely repenting. They don't really intend to turn loose of these things that they're doing or begin to do the things that they should do. And the, the crazy thing here is they think they're okay. He says, you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. And you don't even know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to acquire from me gold refined by fire. Oh, it's going to take tribulation. For you to achieve a status that's beyond lukewarm or intermediate, he says, that's what's going to make you rich. That's what's going to bring the white garment so that you may clothe yourself, so that you don't have to be ashamed. And ISAB, to anoint your eyes that you can see, he says, I'm reproving and disciplining you. And you say, now, wait a minute. I thought the gates closed at the end of Yom Kippur. They did. Yet, and we don't know where they're getting this, but the rabbis say, Even at tabernacles, there's an opportunity to repent, that he's very long-suffering. It doesn't mean you're going to get the same rewards, but it kind of goes back to the, are we talking about salvation, or are we talking about rewards? Because Yeshua told two different kinds of parables. Salvation is salvation. It's all equal. But in terms of the work that you put into the kingdom, it's not. That the work you put into it for him will be commensurately rewarded. And he's saying, even at this late day, even at tabernacles, repent. Don't just stand there and be lukewarm. And he says, uh, if I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This, oddly, reflects the Jewish tradition about the seven evenings of tabernacles. They say that there there are seven patriarchs from Scripture, and we don't know if they mean literally or they're just figuratively using the attributes of Abraham and Joseph and so forth. But these are called the seven shepherds. And so I wrote a book on Hanukkah called The Seven Shepherds, Hanukkah and Prophecy, because Hanukkah is actually a... A replay of Tabernacles at, at this particular time of year, because of the abomination that causes desolation, and how the the Greeks were overthrown, the temple was cleansed, and so forth. But they say that each of these seven nights of Tabernacles, the seven shepherds will come, and it's kind of like an interview. They'll sit in there, you know, while you're eating in your sukkah, in your little uh, booth, and. They're going to question you. Like the, the question is, "Well, how well did you dwell in the clouds of glory that He supplied for you in this journey?" And so it's it's an upper level, more of a interview of, "Okay, you made it, you're here," but they're still doing interviews like, "What are you qualified to do in the millennium? If Yeshua is going to send you out with a job to do, to take that news out to the nations, to instruct the nations." that didn't go up against Jerusalem, and we're talking about a traumatized world here. They've just come through a seven-year tribulation that's worse than anything. And a traumatized world, now you're going to take on the word, are you qualified to do it? Have you studied? Have you shown yourself approved? Have you overcome your own tribulations? And if so, you know, there's something on the resume.
3: Yes. But
2: you want on there than just your, your name and address and cell phone number. It's, you know, when Yeshua is going to put you to work, he has to know that you're prepared to work in that field in a specific way.
1: So what God has been doing for these times with we've come to know the Lord, he's having you build your resume, so to speak. <laughs> but, I, I like that.
2: Right. If you don't want to, like he says, you, you need eye sap to anoint your eyes that you may see, and you need clothes so that you won't be ashamed of your nakedness. Imagine when we look back at our lives and evaluate all the time we had to prepare for Yeshua's return, and we just wasted it. Oh my. Yes. When we matched against the things that we could have been prepared to do for Him and with Him, and we didn't do them because we were just wasting good time.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Time has become so much more invaluable to me as I get closer to the Lord and closer to his scripture. I realize these times uh, are are vital and am I using each tick of the clock to its maximum uh, effectiveness? And that's a question that we, you know, we need to we need to embrace. And my listening friend, that's for us in these last days as well. Are we embracing the Lord and his word and uh, Becoming approved in these things, because this is we're writing the last paragraph or the last sentence of our resume for eternal purposes. Uh, I've got less than two minutes left, uh, Alyssa. If you'd like to give a, a, a like a twenty-second, thirty-second parting word, and then I'm going to have to uh, uh, end the show. Thank you so much for spending time with me, Alyssa, uh, uh, Ale Wine, and once again the, the website for the Creation Gospel Workbooks.
2: Yes. I, I just think it, once you get into this and you realize the richness of the scriptures, then you're going to want to dive into it. You're, you're going to want to know more because most of us, we, we've sat around and say, OK, I follow you, Shua, but I know there's going to be more. Yes. I know there's more. And I think this really is a door that leads you into more and more than you can handle.
1: That's right. So thank you so much for joining us. I mean, remarkable stuff. Go into the archives, my friend. Find this and listen to it about, oh, I don't know, 10,000 times. <laughs> I appreciate that. Halissa, you're a remarkable lady. Halissa Wine. And one more time, the website. And also, you're an author of books. One of them is Standing with Israel. That really needs to happen in these last days. Uh, really quickly, the website in uh, just a few seconds
2: www.thecreationgospel.com
1: creationgospel.com My listening friend, it's really an honor for Halissa and I to share the gospel with you and to realize that we're concluding the resume because he's going to call on us to use that resume for these days which we find ourselves. And my friend, that is uh, more powerful than you realize. It looks negative on the world, but it's blessings for us. Talk to you next week on Come Together San Diego, and thank you, Halissa, for joining me. Bye-bye, guys.